My name is Dr. Michaela Keegan Yadley, and I've spent the last 17 years of my career in schools as a teacher and principal. I started the Dissect Ed podcast to help you by using my strengths of connecting and relating to bring amazing guests to you each week. We will cover a wide range of topics related to all aspects of and roles in education. My goal? For you to enjoy and feel successful in your role so we keep amazing teachers and leaders in schools. Thank you for all you do. Take care and enjoy. Happy Tuesday. Our guest today is someone who is very special to me. I met him as I was beginning my career as a school administrator and he was completing his student teaching in math at my high school. Over the past 10 years, we have worked together in almost every capacity, culminating in him being the Dean of Operations at Blackstone Valley Prep High School, an intentionally diverse charter school in Rhode Island, while I was the head of school or principal. For those of you who don't know what types of things fall under operations, we will get into that. But just know that when it comes to the functioning of a school or district, when things are operating well, you wouldn't even know there was someone overseeing it. However, when things go wrong, think food service, transportation and busing, bells, emergency scenarios, and so on, it becomes quite apparent that there is someone overseeing all of it. If you're wondering how this episode may apply to you and your role, at the very least, it will give you a clearer understanding of what is going on behind the curtain and what goes into it going well. And you will also learn from Tim how to prioritize what to focus on when it comes to school opening in the first day, week, and month of school when seemingly everything is urgent and important. By the end of this episode, you'll also understand why I've asked Tim to be on my team since 2012, because he's an A player. Enjoy learning from Tim as he tells us all about the behind the scenes work that happens in a school. All right, so we have today Tim Howarth. He's a dean at Blackstone Valley Prep High School. His hobbies include 3D printing. I'll let him talk a little more about that. His background is that he taught math for a lot of years in Providence. Actually, I met Tim 11 years ago uh, when he was student teaching at Hope High School. So we go way back and have traveled quite a journey together. He taught math at Rhode Island College as well for incoming freshmen uh, in a prep program there. And he's currently a dean at Blackstone Valley Prep High School who focuses on operations, and he's been doing that since, since 2018. So I asked Tim how he wanted to be introduced he said, quote, I've learned that Keegan is just going to do her own thing no matter what I put here, so I'll let her introduce me. And that is par for the course with Tim. <laughs> um, so the reason I asked Tim, the reason you're on the episode today is because y you know me and um, I'm like the expert at bringing experts together. That's my, that's my strength. That's what I do. Uh, and Tim is the, honestly, the expert at operations. Tim, before we get into talking about opening school um, because we're going to talk about really how to have a successful school opening the first day, the first week, the first month. Most people probably hear operations and they don't know what that means. 
So can you explain for people what your job, yeah, I know you're not the Dean of operations, but you are the Dean that focuses on operations. You were running operations for years. So what, what is your job? What, what do people in operations do? It's all the stuff in a school that's not directly related to like teaching and learning and culture and things like that. But it's all the stuff that happens in the background that I guess you kind of alluded to that people don't really realize it's happening, but man, do they realize it when it goes wrong. So when it's going well, it's like, it's not there. And when it's going wrong, it's like the most important role in the whole school. Sure. I'll go with that. <laughs> um, and you said it doesn't have anything to do with teaching and learning and culture, but what would well, be nothing, fair to not, say that directly with teaching and learning? Like when you think of a school, a lot of people think of kids are in classrooms and kids are learning and then, you know, you have, if kids aren't learning or they're misbehaving, someone comes and deals with any misbehavior or things like that. And then operations is kind of like all the stuff in the background that lets that happen. Great. Um, so you pretty much just take care of everything in the school so that everybody else can do their job. Yeah, pretty much. With kids. Okay. And uh, I will say that you are the best at it. So um, the point of this podcast today is sometimes our podcasts are really general and there'll be somebody on or a guest who will speak to something that applies to pretty much everybody within the education field and really outside of it. This happens to be one of the those times where this topic in this episode is pretty specific. It doesn't mean that nobody can gain, that not everybody can gain something from it, but it really is meant to be directed at school leaders especially people focusing on operations, assistant principals who are in traditional public schools that may not have a dean of operations district level to talk about specifically what your role in operations is and how it helps or how you ensure that the opening of school is a success because you and I both know from doing this for a really long time that that first day, that first week, and that first month sets the tone for the rest of the year. So we're always doing everything we can. You want to have a flawless school opening. As much as possible. As much as, okay, as much as possible. I think it's also important to remember that it's not going to go perfectly. And like, it's really important to keep that in mind and to be okay with that. Yeah. And that's something that's probably really hard for you because you tend to be a perfectionist. Yeah. So, yeah. And I know it was really hard for me too when I first started out as a principal because I was determined that it was going to be flawless. And of course there were some hiccups, although to be fair, I would say that our school openings have been really strong and you've led really strong openings. So my first question for you is for everybody listening, can you tell me what school opening actually is? What does it mean to open school? Do we just open the doors and everybody just comes in? Um, So like what, what is when we say school opening, school opening, school opening, what is that? So I guess from like an operations point of view, it's making sure that every step of the kid's journey through the day and the teacher's journey through the day goes as smoothly as possible. So the big things, and I don't focus on all of these at school because there are other people too, but like how are kids getting to school? They're getting school on the buses. They're getting dropped off. How are they coming into the building? Where are they getting breakfast? Where are they getting their class schedule for the day? How are they getting to their first class? And that's a bunch of things that just happens even before kids start learning in the building on the first day. So to me, it's all those things that have to happen to get kids to the point where they can actually get into a classroom and start to learn. 
And so that's not, I mean, obviously not all happening two days before school starts. No. What would you say you start? Like months ahead of time for that. And okay, like, so I spend, to make sure, go ahead. I spend a lot more time like my first year planning it. And now each year as we go on, it's like, okay, these pieces worked well last year. What didn't work well last year? And then refining it from that. I mean, COVID threw all that out the window. But for the most part, <laughs> yeah. it's like trying to make it stronger each year. But like it really, I think my first year doing this, I think I started planning it in like May or June for like a late August, early September opening. Okay. And um, you said that you stressed, I see you stressed that make, you want to make sure that everybody understands it may not be perfect and to be okay with that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when I try to like set up a school and get the school ready to go, like it's not something that I just do by myself and then go to everyone else and be like, yep, just go in your rooms and everything will happen. But like try to walk everyone through, I guess what my vision for like the day is going to be and then like list a couple things that could absolutely go wrong and then like tell people as a whole like that's okay like the measurement of a successful first day is not a every kid was in every class exactly when they should be and there was no problems at all but it's like we know there's going to be some problems and then being able to adapt to those and adjust to those and have the team of teachers behind you that like is on board with that too. And they're, they're okay with it not being absolutely perfect as well. So I actually, it's interesting because um, last week on the podcast that I forgot to press record on, which will be re uh, recording. I was talking to somebody who he works closely with education, but that's not his primary role. And he was, I was just asking him completely unrelated. How do we help people cope with, this uncertainty and um, back, you know, returning to school with COVID as a renewed stress and different policies and safety protocols. And he said that the first, the most important thing to do is to not have um, a culture of toxic positivity. So not to just constantly say, oh no, like dismissing people's concerns and saying, it's going to be fine. It's fine. It's all fine. Everything's fine. Actually what people really need on a really, at a stressful time and an uncertain time. So I guess, you know, first day of school for teachers, especially they're just as worried because they want to make sure their class runs smoothly and they have as much under control as possible. So to acknowledge to them, like, Hey, we planned everything the best we could. It may not go perfect. It's not going to go perfect. And that's going to be okay. Here's what you can expect. You can expect to have three kids come into your classroom after class started because they're just getting their schedule adjusted. That's yeah. okay. Or like and for the first day, you might this. have 29 kids instead of 28. Like, right. And it's important okay. like for the teachers to trust that we'll like stay on top of those problems too. And I think that's a really a big way of like getting teachers to be okay with that is that like, I have to worry about everything going well, but then like, you want to worry about the things that worry the teachers too, so that they feel supported. And then I'm assuming you have a system for them to let you know something that hasn't gone well. Yeah. So that usually, a Google and then you form. usually a Google form. And also because I know this, you have established uh, credibility because you are, you consistently and quickly reply to those for them to those notifications yeah you fix it oh yeah and make sure so, let them know that like it's okay if it's not perfect so would you say it might be different though for a teacher if they if you didn't reply to their the notifications that they're letting you know things are yeah hey i have 29 students for a week bothering them. 
and then I'm ignoring, yeah. you can't ignore them because then mm-hmm. why would they come to you when there's something else wrong? And then when there's something else, and then it's kind of spirals. Like it's important to be in communication with your teachers and for your teachers to know that even if you can't fix it, that you're aware about it and you're doing the best you can in the moment. So then how important is it to have, what would happen if you didn't have that system? And I mean, Google Forms are a perfect way to notify you right like right away that something's not right and then they usually get a response from you if you didn't have that system what might that look like a mess what what could happen yeah so like stuff would start to go wrong and then it would just kind of stay that way like nothing would get better and then like eventually you'd see it yourself that something's going wrong but at that point like i don't know if teachers don't believe that you're going to get back to them then they're not going to tell you and they're just going to sit there with that either worry or negativity and start thinking like, oh, well, this place doesn't care about me. And that just kind of like, it can really quickly snowball into this culture between staff that's really toxic and not good for a staff. And like, it's a really easy way to prevent that is to care about the people and to make sure that they feel supported, even if you're not solving their problems in the moment. Yeah. Perfect. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so what are some of the things that go into planning for school opening? What, what does planning look like for you? So I like to go through and think about each person's not each person, but like each category of persons, I guess, parts of their day. So like, this doesn't make much sense, but so say if we take kids who are arriving to school. So if I have kids who are taking the bus, okay, they're taking the bus. Where is the bus dropping them off? What do they do when they get off the bus? How are they coming into the building? If we're in the middle of a pandemic, how do we know they're coming into the building safely? And then like walk through, play through in my head, all the different parts of their day, piece by piece. They come into the building, where are they coming into the building? Who do I need here? Are there people there to monitor them when they're at breakfast? Is there a way for them to, now they've got their food, they're done with their food, they have their garbage. How do they get rid of that? Like all those different steps. I like to, honestly, I like to sit down for a while and start just, in my head playing through what the day looks like for a bunch of people and then doing the same thing for teachers. Um, I was a teacher for a while, so I can kind of like relate to worries and concerns that teachers have and just try to accommodate like and count and count for those and be aware of like, okay, this is this thing here might throw someone off. How can I adjust it or at least make sure or help them prepare for that? And I know Go ahead. It's just a real, I just gonna, it's just a lot of like going, thinking about what could happen and then all the different ways it can go wrong and then trying to adjust for as many of those as I can. And like have a contingency plan for all those scenarios that could go wrong. Yeah. A contingency plan or just like, even if it's just knowing who's going to respond to the problem in the moment or like knowing that I'll get to it at some point. Okay. So what would be your top three things to get right so that the first day of school is as flawless as possible? So I think that the first thing is student safety. Like at the end of the day, that's our job. Like it's teaching kids and everything, but if the kids aren't safe, then there's no, it doesn't matter. Kids have to be kept safe. And that means like that doors aren't left open and unattended. And that means that kids are monitored by adults at any time, at all times, no matter where they are. Um, I think the second big thing is that 
you can't be everywhere at once and you can't do everything at the same time. So like focus, if there are a bunch of different things that need your attention, focus on the biggest problems, ones that, you know, relate to student safety first, but then ones that will affect the most number of people and try to account for those. And then the third one, which we went over a little bit before is like not to promise or pretend that everything's going to go perfectly. I like to end a lot of my PDs with staff, like reminding them that like, this is day one of school. It's going to be good. It's not going to be perfect. And that's okay. And I think those are probably the three biggest things for me, I think. So obviously there are hiccups on the first day. What are some that you have experienced and how do you deal with them? And then how do you recommend that other people deal with them? It was really difficult for me at first to be okay with hiccups. Um, the biggest one in a school is just like kids not knowing where they're going or accidentally scheduling two classes for the same classroom and 50 kids <laughs> yeah. trying to fit through the door. And like those things are like, okay, instead of like, making a mess, like where can, where can we relocate the teacher? Cause in the moment, the problem isn't finding a permanent new home for the teacher in that moment. It's, we can't have 52 kids in the classroom that holds 25 kids. So we need to move one of them for today. And yeah, maybe your class is going to be held in the cafeteria for the first hour. And yeah, that's not ideal, but we will have that taken care of by the next day. And I think like dealing with them is to deal with the hiccups is like in the moment, come up with a right then solution so that you have yep. time later to come up with a more permanent solution to go and change 25 schedules to get kids into a place is not feasible in that moment because it takes a long time to do it. So that's something that can be done later, but right then it's getting the kids and the teacher somewhere else. It sounds like, it sounds like when you plan for a flawless as possible, first day that you mentioned that a ton of planning goes into it, but that simultaneously you have to be quick on, you have to be, you have to be able to think in the moment real quickly and problem solve immediately. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. And it's not just me. Like it's a bunch of people who will be a part of that too. I don't, I'm not just going to stand there and like try to do everything by myself, but yeah, it's having like, just knowing in your head everything you can about the school and what's happening so that you know where like you can move things around as you need to. So then how important would you say communication is? So I think sometimes, and this isn't just for your role, but for a lot of administrative roles in schools, such as, you know, if there's an assistant principal who focuses on academics or an assistant principal who tends to focus more on behavior and culture, or there's a principal who whose role is a little bit different. How important is it for you to communicate with the larger team? Oh, it's really important. As, um, I think that on the first day, really, like the focus isn't going to be entirely on like academics and coaching. Like I'm going to find whoever is in charge of that and be like, nope, nope, you're helping me with something today. And I need you here and I need you here and I need you here because you can have the best coaching in the world, but if like kids aren't getting to the classroom and everything else is just falling apart, nothing is going to work on that front. So like at the beginning in the first couple of days, like short sure, coaching is great, but if I need something else, I'm going to like do whatever I can to not, I'm not going to like purposely pull you away, but if I need you for something, I'm going to pull you from that to focus on this. And would you say that your team expects that? Like that's yeah, well, I mean, how I told them. the expectation. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, cause I'm, I'm, 
curious if we could kind of quantify your or demonstrate or operationally define what communication looks like with different groups. So you mentioned communicating with teachers. They, they have a Google form they fill out if something didn't go right. How, how, so they have to, obviously they know about this ahead of time. And, you know, your, your leadership team that you're on, they, everybody knows that, okay, on the first day, Tim, like I have to help, I'm helping in this time and this time. And also Tim may ask me to help if something comes up. How, how often would you say you're communicating with teachers and in what way in the week or two leading up to school opening? So in the couple of weeks leading up to school opening, um, at the school I'm at now, I get a few hours to do like PD with the staff where like it's just running through all the different things. Um, at last check, I had a list of like 35 or 40 different like things to hit upon with the teachers there. And I try you to do spread... it 45 all at, all at once. No. So if, if, if I didn't get cut <laughs> off there, I try to spread <laughs> it out. But I'd much rather do a bunch of shorter sections. Um, I don't like paying attention to people talking at me for a while. And I know that other people don't like that. If I was, when I have kids in the classroom, I don't want to teach them for three hours. And they don't want to listen to me for three hours. So breaking it up into like the, pretty much the smallest possible chunks of like 15 or 20 minutes, I find is good. And then in each successive one, try to like quickly recap the previous stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but also just don't make it dry and boring and plain because no one wants to listen to that. And like, it's really important stuff. At least I think so. Everybody loves your operation sections. Um, are you, yeah, do, because... do you get, <laughs> now, do you give them a way to ask you questions if they, ha if they come up? Yeah. So as you're explaining things. It's actually really difficult to take questions during a PD like that for staff because there's generally 50 million of them, which is good. I want questions. It helps me to think and it pushes my thinking forward. But in the moment, it's that thing of like these little pieces are, mm -hmm. I need to get through the bigger stuff. So I'm not going to deal with all the little pieces then. And I also want to make sure I have the time to think through it. Responding to staff questions on the spot can like, my answer might change a day later when I actually think through it more. So I usually have a Google form then that staff, oh, you would remember this, Keegan. Um, I think it was MichaelaKeegan.com brought staff <laughs> yeah. to the Google form where they could ask their questions. Um, but just like, it's, it's the same form every year. It's really quick. Like, what's your name? What's your question? And then after the PD, um, if I can answer those questions on my own, I'll email them responses, um, ones that I feel are relevant to the whole staff or that come up multiple times. I'll put at the beginning of the next session of the PD and then questions that I can't answer on my own. I'll bring to like the larger administrative team and we'll try to work through those questions. So we either have an answer or at least a way to respond to them. So it sounds like a strong communication plan. Yeah. It's going to be is really important operations is all the time. So like which is totally fine. I didn't go to school to be an operations person in a school. I went to school to be a teacher. Um, mm -hmm. And like you said, most schools don't have a position like this. So yeah, having communication back and forth with every single person in the building is the way that it works. Awesome. So, all right, phew, day one is over. Everybody survived. What are we looking forward to or what are we looking at for the first week? Um, so we always look forward to like a happy hour with the staff at the end of the week. That's always the best thing there. Um, but like, it, I look at like how to tighten things up as we go for that week and how to, my goal usually is that by the end of the first week, there aren't any more big problems and there aren't any more big problems cropping up. And that's at the point where like just about everything, single thing that went wrong is either 
dealt with and fixed or in rare cases as accepted as something that we can't fix. I mean, that's, that's quick. I yeah, say we that's only have quick. 180 days. Like, and like I said, I'm pulling, if I have to pull like another Dean or another, or like someone else in the building to help with something, I'm pulling them away from their job and that's not fair to them. Like my job is to get stuff out of the way so people can do their job. So like, yeah, by the end of the first week at the latest, usually by like, I mean, usually by like Tuesday or Wednesday, we're pretty on point. And that's why we're celebrating with the staff at the end of the week. Yes. And because we survived. We survived. Um, all right. So, wow. Week one went rather well. What's the focus for the rest of the first month? So I think the, the focus there is when we can start, you know, ironically, is like the first week is fixing everything, is then changing things and either making bigger changes to make things better or to make things easier um, or to like just evaluate I spent a lot of time like evaluating how the first week went and then like what I would change for all the following year. And, like that's when I like start, I'll get like started on the next one. Um, I also think it's important to like make sure that it's not, it's not as much attention on like each day, like it is the first day, but enough attention that it doesn't get ignored, I guess. Um, as soon as I assume things are, I've learned this, as soon as I assume that, oh, everything's just going well, that's when everything just falls apart. So like <laughs> having a balance between just like checking up on things and making sure things are happening and that everything is going smoothly and then checking with people to make sure like everything's going well for them too. And then I can start pivoting to other things that have to happen in the building. So it sounds like what you're saying is that you have you know, you plan leading up to the first day there's a lot of communication it probably starts to ramp up in the few weeks leading up to the first day and then that first day of the first week is really that consumes pretty much everything that you that all of your time yeah and that but then your goal by the end of like that first month is that it's not taking up every second of your day or it's the things that come up aren't as urgent and so you're able to then widen what you're focusing on in your role and be in and not always be in panic mode or keep teachers in panic mode you're you're looking to get them into teaching mode and knowing everything everything is solved and everything is is running smoothly have a process for them to communicate if something ends up going wrong you also interact with people to check on how things are going but you're able to get yourself out of that and into maybe some academic coaching or supporting in other areas in the school yeah especially since in the past couple of years um i've expanded my role to do more than just operation like that's what i was hired for as a dean at first and now going into my fourth year i definitely stretch out a lot more and if i let myself just get consumed by operations then i don't have the ability to do anything else in the building which is really important the only thing i push back on what you said though is that it's not about getting teachers out of panic mode. It's like trying to prevent that from happening at all in the mm. first place. Panic mode mm. is what happens when teachers don't, when we don't respond to teachers. Mm. That's what happens mm -hmm. when stuff is going wrong and teachers don't feel like they can turn to anybody to help mm. them out. Like if 50 something kids are trying to cram into a classroom and the teacher is like asking for help and not getting it, that's when they panic. And mm. I think one of the biggest things is to make sure that doesn't happen as absolutely best you can. It's not fair to your staff. Like they're there to teach. They're not there to like start hyperventilating. Well, I'd say that's probably a testament to how hard you and your team have worked because to, to not have to, pre to be able to prevent panic mode 
in a time that is really panicky is um is good so last thing is you have a very specific role that you're you've expanded but it has always been a very specific role how for schools that either do have a role like this or i think the majority of schools that we would look at do not have somebody who's dedicated just to operations this i think this last question that we'll end on is applicable to both scenarios and that's how important is a team in this process so i don't think there's anything more important than a team whether it's like the bigger leadership team in the school that i'm a part of whether it's the my office manager and other people like the nurse and the custodian who support with operational things and stuff like that. Um, I don't think there's anything more important than that. I can't do all of it by myself and it's not, but I think of it like this, the school cannot rely solely upon me to run. And that's for any of the operational things. Um, there've been at least one time last school year where I had to take three days out right before vacation suddenly without any warning. I had to text my principal like the day before and tell him that I wasn't coming back until after Christmas break for things that were happening at my house. And I didn't worry about the school falling to bits when that happened. I didn't worry about like any of the stuff that I had been working on falling to bits during that because I knew that it was going to keep going and I knew there were people who knew what was going on to be able to pick up the slack and to do the work still. So then a team and then having pretty strong processes and procedures um, is obviously something that you've worked hard on and is critical to, again, the functioning and operation of the school building. Yeah, it's the processes and procedures. And it's also, um, this word came up a few weeks ago in a PD I was in, but like it's redundancy. It's like that mm. I, everything can't live with me. I can't be the owner of everything. And I can't be the only person that knows how everything works because then as soon as I step away, it just falls apart. And that's, it's not fair to the school, but like in a not selfish way, it's not fair to me either. Like that's an insane amount of stuff to put on the shoulders of one person. So as much as I can, like I make crazy spreadsheets and stuff, but like mm. as far as people, like even when the way that teachers sign in in the morning, a few different people know how to do that. The way late scholars sign in in the mornings, a few different people know how to handle that. So all the different things there, it's, it might be me who takes care of it most days, but people know how to do it. So that if I'm not available, whether I'm like working on a different thing or whether I, I cannot be at work that day, everything will still flow smoothly. I can say though, the days I didn't have you at work, even though I knew things could flow, they were a little bit dicey for me because I, I relied on you for a lot of that stuff. I remember you telling me to hurry up and come back from my honeymoon while I was in Florida. And for anyone listening, I think I have that text message saved here. <laughs> yes, here you go. You texted me on my honeymoon in Florida at 6.34 a.m. Oh, Listen, man. you being out of school for a week felt like a month time to come back. And I said, tomorrow, I'm not allowed to sleep on vacation, huh? And your very kind response for all your <laughs> listeners was, quote, your phone should be on silent. Yes, your phone should have been on silent. So that is very, that's, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult when anyone's out of the building. Like, even if, like, 
doesn't matter who it is. It could be a teacher, a teacher leader, a custodian, the head of school, an administrator. It's difficult when someone's out, but it doesn't fall apart. And I think that's the really important thing. Like if it wasn't difficult when someone stepped away, then like that's indicative of a different problem. But like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's but like people can pick it up and still go with it, which is really important. Well, I think we're going to end on that note, especially thank you for saving that text message from five years ago. Yeah, I think now, I sent that to you when ago. you were on your honeymoon. To a couple things. One is you, we talked through and kind of um, talked about like from like a 30,000 foot view on some things to do with operations. And I'm wondering if I can have listeners reach out to me if they've got specific questions on anything that you mentioned today and I could maybe filter those to you if you'd be willing to answer questions that people may have. If they're yeah, listening. I mean, I absolutely. And then finally, I do have to have you talk a little bit about your other hobby, your business My cats. of 3d printing. Oh. No, well your cats. Yes. No, because you actually are the official sponsor of the podcast. So how could I not let you talk about what you 3d print? And what you do. Yeah. So well, I don't know. It's It started off as a hobby. Is this like, I got a 3D printer one year for Christmas. And then two weeks later, I got a second one. And then I got rid of the first one because it wasn't that good. And now we've got, I say we, um, my wife and I have 11 of them at the house right now. And um, they're mine. They're not hers. But <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I like sell stuff online. And I think I'm making keychains, not for me, but for all the other guests on your show. Little You'll like definitely get your own keychain. keychains. Yeah, I'll yep. probably have like seven of them here. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's a fun hobby because it's really like I can talk about the stuff I make, but that's boring. No, what I like is um, it's really cool to think of something and then to design it and then to get to hold it in your hand like five hours later versus before I had a machine like that. Like if you wanted something, you had to either find someone who'd already created it or if you, I guess, had a lot of money you wanted to waste, was like, pay someone to create it for you and because I can't do like arts and crafts to save my life as far as like constructing things apart from like Legos but I think that's really cool so like yeah I've made I think you bought at least like two or three of the little pet bowls from me that I've made um I sent you a bunch of the little chore charts to help your kids um at your school last year Yes, and those are really helpful. I don't know. It's a lot of fun. I just- well, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time. I know that podcasting is maybe not your number one way that you'd like to get information out there, um, but I'm grateful because being able to do it in this forum brings your talent and how you're able to think about operations and really have those very smooth openings. We can bring that to more people. Okay, everyone. That was school operations expert, Tim Howarth. And I don't just say that because I've known him for a really long time. Remember, one of my biggest strengths is surrounding myself with people who are way smarter than I am. It really is the best way to lead. And Tim really is incredible at what he does. And now you've all had the benefit of hearing from him. Don't forget to reach out to me through www.dissectedpodcastmkj.com if you have any questions for Tim as you go through your own school opening this year, or if you have any topics you'd like dissected. Have a great week.